The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to I Took the High Road with Jacob Jansen. Our program is designed to educate about the drug problems that are reaching epidemic proportions in the United States. Could we be approaching the drug problem the wrong way? Mr. Jansen has been down the road of addiction, down the path of recovery, and now helps others find their path. Addicts are not bad people trying to get good. They're sick people needing to get well. Are you a part of the solution or the problem? Come and join us for an hour of fantastic guests, amazing stories, positive encouragement, and information that just might make your community a better place. Now, here's your host, Jacob Jensen. Hello, and welcome to I Took the High Road. I am your host, Jacob Jansen, and we have a great show today. Uh, you might have to get your sunglasses out because we have a star on the show, Candy <laughs> Finnegan from uh, TV's inter, uh, A&E's hit show, Intervention. Uh, but before I introduce Candy, I wanted to talk about something. Uh, there's a, a site called Many Faces, One Voice, um, and they had an article that just came out that said uh, life-changing legislation has been introduced into the United States sentence, or Senate. Uh, it is called the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act of 2014. Now, uh, up until last February, um, I hadn't been able to vote as a felon on probation. I wasn't able to, and we just had these last November uh, elections, and I, I started to understand how just important it is to get out there, get your voice heard, make your vote count. If it's not for a politician, there's certainly some of these uh, acts that we may uh, want to have passed. And with 110 people now dying every single day from opiate and heroin overdoses, which is very close to the number of deaths during the height of the AIDS epidemic. We need to do something about this. So this piece of legislation will provide, among other things, a new grant program funding for collegiate recovery programs, recovery high schools, and recovery community organizations. Uh, it's the first funding of its kind in terms of size, and the size is big, approximately $42 million over a six-year period. That could really make a huge difference in our communities. So I want to get right into the show. Uh, we have a real special guest today, Candy Finnegan. Candy Finnegan is a certified master addiction counselor level three and a board registered interventionist level two. She's also the co-founder of the acclaimed music, musicians assistance program. And we had Harold Owens on the show uh, a few weeks ago to talk about uh, the musicians assistance program. He was the senior director there. Also, she currently 
uh, is one of the featured interventionists on the acclaimed A&E series Intervention. Won four PRISM Awards and in 2009 won an Emmy. She is also an author uh, of the book When Enough is Enough, published by Penguin and Avery in April of 2008. And one of the things that I'm really proud about and love uh, to have my guests on share this with me. She's been personally in recovery for over 28 years. Candy Finnegan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, my gosh, here we are. It didn't take much, did it? <laughs> no, well, it, you know, it's it's fantastic that you came on and uh, wanted to talk about who you were and uh, what you're doing right now. Uh, your website t- touts you as one of the most famous interventionists in the world, so what an honor to have you on. Well, thank you so much. As you can well tell, I didn't make my uh, website. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that to other people. Yes, and we can focus on uh, what we're passionate about and helping. Yes, so, exactly. can you tell uh, you know our audience just a little bit about yourself? How you got started in the field of addiction and the name Candy? Where did that come from? Well, to be um, honest with you, uh, it's a kind of a cute story. I'm um, I'm adopted, and um, I think one of the things that my biological mother had asked with whoever adopted me, if they would uh, name me Candy. I had red hair, kind of, I mean, four or five strands of it at least. And um, I'm really white skin because I'm Irish. And so um, I think that uh, at that point it looked like that maybe I was like a peppermint candy or something. So um, my mother was not thrilled. My adopted mother was not thrilled. She was much more of a formal person. And my um, maiden name was House, so I was kind of Candy House, and um, that uh, that that got me a lot of places. <laughs> the old What's Candy name, House right? story. Yeah. So um, when I got married, it's funny. My um, proper name is Heather Candace, so um, I started to use Heather. When I got a little bit older, and um, I'm from Kansas. I'm from Wichita. And uh, the highway patrol guy that gave me my driver's license said, would heater house come up? And I thought, that's the end of that. I'm not going to be known as heater. So um, it was. it's funny because I just, uh, I'm just now Candy Finnegan and, and very glad, very glad to be that. So I was even more prouder when I stood up and said Candy Alcoholic. So. So, well, absolutely. And, and well, how did you get started in, in this field of addiction? You've been doing this, I, I believe it said 25 years now. Yeah. I'm going to start lying about it pretty soon. It makes me too old. <laughs> um, well, the truth of it is, is that um, I got sober in 86 and my children were very little. I have a son, Kelly, and a daughter, Bridget. And um, Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. They're my absolutely jewels of my life. And... Um, I uh, was, you know, had decided and been very fortunate enough to be an at-home uh, mother. And so I had, you know, gone to college, graduated, got a profession. It was in the 60s. And, you know, at that point, I don't think many people wanted me to clean their teeth. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe staying home would be better. So I uh, I um, was a stay-at-home mom and... Um, my kids started getting older. Oh, I have to add in there. I got sober in 86. Mm-hmm. So um, they were babies. They were little. And um, I, uh, I'm i not a 
stay-at-home mom that watches soap operas, although I do have one favorite one that a very dear friend of mine, Jess Walton, is on, but I, um, I catch a peek of that. But it, it just, I wasn't just happy sitting at home. So I was the mom that got the kids up and got them dressed, and here we go. And I don't, <laughs> we just always were on the go. And now suddenly they're getting older. And my son went to boarding prep school in Vermont, and my daughter went to Kansas University College all in the same year. And there I sat. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this. And uh, so I uh, had gone back to school two years earlier um, to UCLA to the addiction studies program with my neighbor. And um, it was just one of those things where, you know, one of the things I always share about is dream up. Um, I didn't set out to be who God intended me to be, but I sure am that person today. <laughs> and uh, I've worked really hard at it. I, um, I've never stopped learning, never stopped finding um, anything that's new when they came out with the whole thing with the brain disease and, and um, brain mapping and all that. I mean, I've always wanted to keep up with the profession because... Whether we find a cure or not, I don't think that'll be in my lifetime. So from there, um, my husband and David Crosby and a man named Buddy Arnold, and I'm sure you heard the story with Harold, Mm -hmm. um, went to the music union and asked if they would allow them to have a program through the union called Musician's Assistance Program because at that point... It was just either people were dying or they were getting sober, and there wasn't any help. Mm -hmm. Um, You would think that a union as large as the music union, when you called them, they would say, you know what, we don't have a problem here. And uh, I was rather shocked and appalled. So um, we decided that uh, as it's now been, 2,800 people have gone through treatment and they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars every year, and it is a stellar program. But mm-hmm. we were a little teeny program. There were five of us. And at one point, I was the buddy was the president, I was the vice president, he was the treasurer, and I was the secretary. And um, when everybody gets well as a musician, the first thing they do is go back out on the road. And uh, I wasn't a musician, and I never traveled with my husband. And... Uh, so away I went, and he'd go, go knock on this door and bring them over here and get them into treatment candy, and I'd go, okay. So that's kind of how the whole thing of walking in as the stranger in the room and offering help and a new life, and I wasn't, I mean, I was sober maybe six or seven years. It was kind of stunning that this happened so fast, and then MAP just kept growing and growing and growing and growing, and I kept going to school, and um, I was always on the um, advisory board and very proud of it. So from there, just magic happened. You know, I met Dr. Vern Johnson, who was the grandfather and really the creator of intervention. Mm-hmm. And um, I was fortunate enough uh, to get invited to an addiction doctor named Dr. Bruce Heishaber, and who is an emergency room doctor at Loma Linda and still is. And I just, um, you know, if it was offered to me... Um, I took it, and yeah, it's... Um, from there, I, I'm, and I wasn't sure that any of this I, I was ever going to use, because I wasn't sure what I was going to do, 
It's just kind of interesting how when we keep doing the right thing, some of those things fall into place. Well, I just kind of stood still, and the wind blew, and I caught it. Okay. (laughs) And very fortunate. The the big dreams come to those that work while we wait, right? Well, you know, it's like I don't think I had them as dreams. I just think I always dreamed of helping people, and this is what uh, was chosen for me. So So, um, there's nothing better. Absolutely, and I love doing it. It's very, very rewarding helping families find you know the right treatment programs, the right fit for individuals. And you mentioned that uh, you know Dr. Vernon Johnson, and he was kind of the the inventor, the creator of the Johnson Institute model, the more surprise intervention model. Can you explain to our, our viewers maybe a little bit better than I can what is the Johnson Institute model? Well, and I. I just say it's the Vern Johnson model, and um, he wrote an impeccable book to this day that is stellar, and it's called I'll Quit Tomorrow. And uh, I think all of us say that, and um, after a while, families and loved ones get really tired of uh, hearing I'll Quit Tomorrow. And so Dr. Vern Johnson was an Episcopal minister, and uh, I believe the conceptual idea that he relayed to me as I understand it is is that he got really tired of all the pallbearers and all the families that loved people sitting in a circle and um, going around the room and talking about one wonderful thing that they did and how they wished they could have done more. And I think that time after time after time, he got to the point of why are we not doing this while they're alive? Mm-hmm. And I think that was pretty much the conceptual. What he told us in this um a uh, workshop that I was able to do with him down in uh, La Jolla was that um, he said that it's a deadly disease, and um, so when you put a group of people together for an intervention, you always want to include the pallbearers. <laughs> well, I can be perfectly honest with you. I, I, I haven't gone that far with it, although there have, I have certainly been times, I'm sure all of them were in the room, but, you know, it was um, not confronting families, but care-fronting them because they'd all been through a lot. Now, I like that. later in years, I, I did find out that Dr. Johnson was in recovery and out of recovery and in recovery. Um, of course, it finally stuck just like um, uh, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson, but it's one of those things where he didn't really share that much, It was in a, and it was in a, you know, kind of a medical therapeutic setting, and and uh, he just cut down to what he knew and what was best. And, um, you know, you called it the surprise model, and I, I always call it the crisis model. Um, okay. And the reason I do that is, is that 85% of uh, the success of an intervention certainly is the surprise. I always jokingly say you don't invite an addict or an alcoholic to their hanging and then call them back up and ask them to bring the rope. So... <laughs> That's how they feel about it. They don't feel like we're throwing them a lifesaver out and that, you know, by the grace of God that they'll grab a hold of it. So I believe, I personally believe, I don't think it's talked about much, um, Jake, but I personally believe that the Johnson model is the model that is the spiritual connection between I don't walk into a room by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a gift that has been given to me to ask a family to have no more whispers and no more lies and um, to tell me what I can do to help the person that they love. I mean, 
it's a very fast process considering how long that they've been living in hell. You know? Absolutely. And that, um, but Dr. Johnson stressed to me personally that um, uh, this is a powerful process and, uh, you know, it's not an event and um, some of them work and some of them don't, but I should never walk into a room by myself. It always takes somebody much more powerful than me. And I've continued to do that for the last 24 and a half years. This is a gift, and I'm just the messenger. How have uh, your intervention methods changed since you started? Or in other words, uh, what, what have you started to do differently with families now than when you actually started as an interventionist? Well, I think that I really followed uh, the Johnson Spiritual Medicine, uh, you know, method, and I still do. Um, I think that for me, I just honed in on um, all the trainings. I've been through systemic. I've been through Arise. I've been through Johnson. I've been through this person and that person. I'm always willing to learn, but I really have to hone and personalize every intervention that I do. Um, and it certainly depends on what drug or what, if it's alcohol. I mean, they're they're very different acting humans. Um, mm-hmm. But I stopped writing letters. Um, most interventionists have their families write letters. And I realized when I, I 99% of the time I take my um, clients um, to treatment. Okay. I feel that I've walked into their lives. I know all of their secrets. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I would like them to know that I just didn't drop in, that I am a part of their recovery, I hope, and uh, that I'm not leaving um, unless they're, you know, stable and I'm there at a good treatment center and I don't have to worry about them anymore. Um, And I do worry about, I'd say, the initial 10 days or something just because that's such a hard time to get through. And I call every day at the treatment center. I've made this, you know, my life work. This isn't a career. This isn't a job for me. So um, an addict knows if you care about them, and so does an alcoholic. So Mm -hmm. over the years, I think I've changed because I write statements instead of letters. Because I found that they listened to something that every person in the intervention repeats before they talk about their personal um, wishes and hopes and sadness and and uh, a lot of expectations usually, and then we get back to hope at the end. So there usually has to be a consequence um, for their decision if they choose not to go, and I think it's only fair for them to know what it is. Sure, absolutely, very, very interesting. And you know, the Johnson Institute model is the this or the the Vernon Vern Johnson model is the same method that that I use, very similar. And I've seen a ton of success. You know, I, I I've often heard it say that it is more difficult for a family to actually go through with the intervention than the individual to actually accept help during oh, the intervention. I, I, my joke is always, I can get anybody to go to treatment to just to do that to shut me up, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I um, I found in the last five to seven years that my whole point and my whole legacy would like to be that I help the families of those that suffer. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of in a process of trying to put a book together that is about the detoxing family. Um, and I want you, I don't want you to hold that thought. We got to take will. a quick commercial break from our sponsors, and we'll be right back more with Candy Finnegan.
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this, providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org. So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jensen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back. This is I Took the High Road and I am your host, Jacob Jansen. Uh, today we are joined by... Uh, Addiction counselor, interventionist, celebrity author, Candy Finnegan. Uh, before the break, we were just starting to talk about the new book coming out that you're writing. Candy Finnegan, can you talk a little bit more about that new book that you're writing? Well, um, my first book that I wrote, When Enough is Enough, which is uh, published by Penguin, um, I wrote that because I had so many people who were inquiring and um, writing to me from the uh, show that I was on or am on, um, intervention that, you know, would I please help them? And, of course, it's humanly possible. And, unfortunately, um, so many people who need help don't have the resources. And um, so I uh, 
the one thing I always heard, no matter what, is do you think that my loved one, do you think they've had enough, and what is enough? And Mm -hmm. so from that is, um, I said, if we're all sitting here in the middle of an intervention, they've had enough. Um, I, uh, I, too, think that is, only, you know, a lot of times happens exactly when it's supposed to. I've certainly found that to be true, that when the, by the time the families call me, that individual is not happy with his life and the, the actions and the, the damage he's causing to the family members. So. I always feel that the family is not ha- happy with their lives. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Some of these kids can go on forever, they think. Um, but, I, you know, I started just... Um, I guess on a, a plane ride to a treatment center or in a car drive, taking them to treatment, I've always, you know, had such a pang in my heart that, um, that I'm leaving the family, you know, with like a Band-Aid on open heart surgery. And mm-hmm. so I, um, of course, uh, have always recommended and will always recommend um, the Betty... Ford Family and Children's Program, which is now part of the Hazelden family, mm-hmm. and um, there, there, you don't have to go to those to, to that particular treatment center to be able to access the the family program. And the children's program is a stellar. There's a man named Jerry Moss, and he is as brilliant as anyone I've met in my career, who deals with teaching. Um, I think it's six to twelve year old children. Um, about addiction and it's not their fault. And um, I think it's an important step to take. They also have one in Dallas um, for young children because they, of course, grow up uh, knowing they couldn't save their parents. So I'm um, just part of the, the family disease. And uh, I, um, I just got interested in what I could do to help them other than Al-Anon. And uh, most people are really afraid of any 12-step program, let alone family members of Al-Anon, because they always feel it's their problem. It's not ours. How can I get in recovery? Mm-hmm. But I sit before you, you know, 28 and a half years of sobriety, because my mother-in-law cared enough not only to take care of herself in Al-Anon, but to do the best she could to help me get into recovery. And uh, for that, I'll be eternally grateful. So, And, and I, I do want to talk more about uh, addiction as a family disease. But I think right before the break, uh, the new book that you were writing, did I hear you say it was on the detoxification yes, process? Yes, well, it's the detoxing of, of a family. And okay, okay. I never knew because I usually wasn't sticking around long enough because I had the client with me and was taking them to treatment, hopefully. But even if they didn't go to treatment, you still have a family who has lived underneath this cloud of doom for years and years and years trying to pray and love, you know, the disease of addiction back to their normal selves. And uh, it is humanly possible, you know. Yeah, um, I, and you know, I, the, family, the family part of it is the part I always have felt has been neglected. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I do my interventions, I always offer uh, a follow-up session for the family when the individuals are at treatment after they leave to really help the family understand the disease of addiction and what is uh, codependency and what is, you know, how to be supportive instead of enabling. You know, and about half of them 
take advantage of, of that uh, that extra session, but I think it's very important because um, addiction is a family disease and it's often referred to as a family disease. Can you explain a little bit more about why addiction sometimes is referred to as a family disease? Well, um, on very rare occasions it isn't because their family has chosen to lock the doors and uh, lock their emotions and lock their love away <clears throat> because they don't want to be hurt one more time by the addict alcoholic. And those are the people that don't call. Those are the people that I always say, you know, have the unfortunate um, situation of uh, loving somebody to death. And um, to me, that is not a pretty, a pretty sight. And um, I spend between four and five hours doing a pre-intervention, and I kind of do what you do after because I travel so extensively. Sure. I'm taking um, the client from um, their home city usually to, um, to a treatment center um, as far away as I can get them, <laughs> you know. Um, so I don't have the opportunity to be able to go back unless it's in the city that I live in. And uh, have a follow-up. It just is usually, you know, humanly impossible to get back there. But I certainly talk to the families after every intervention and stay in touch with them at least for the first 30 days. But, you know, you watch people who um, go through the same distress, you know, is that they become horribly depressed. They don't know what to do. They've done everything they can. They think that maybe they should just put $20 out on the the table every day so they don't have to rob grandma or, I mean, they just don't know what to do. And by not looking for the answers and knowing there's an answer, you just stay in the disease as much as the addict does. Sure. And, and, and um, you know the tragic stories that addiction brings to a family. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, our services as interventionists, I know at least in our area, there's really no insurance companies that cover our services. Do you think they will in the future? Do you see this moving in the direction where, uh, you know, maybe insurance or the government is going to start saying this is very needed, it helps improve success rates at treatment facilities, it helps families heal? Do you ever see that happening? Well, I think that it has to be, you know, when I started on the show in 204, 2004, 204, 2004, <laughs> um, you know, the word intervention was not a household name. And um, I was driving home yesterday and they were talking about uh, the speech that the president was going to do. And the first thing they said is that he had to intervene on the Congress. And I thought, well, that'd be quite a job. Um, but, you know, intervention is used in the most um, um, political way, the most therapeutic way, the most loving way, um, you know, um, and it was a word that was never used in the English language. Um, there are many different interventions. Of course, the police are really good interventionists, and... Um, you know, so are lawyers and... And, uh, well, and I always say police provide the crisis point sometimes yeah, for well, change. I don't know how good of an interview. They don't always <laughs> have the solution that I like, though. Yes, so. yeah. Um, they can provide so, the crisis, know, not the solution. I, exactly. I think we've come a long way. Um, I think we have a really a long way to go, you know. Um, 
in Wisconsin, we only have certification for interventionists. We don't even have licensing in Wisconsin. So. Well, there's no licensing anywhere. Okay. Well, and then maybe that's something we need to change. Well, you know, um, NADAC and KDAC uh, here in California, we're working on it. Um, we're still hoping to get licensed drug and alcohol counselors. We're one of the very few states. Uh, and when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor, he, you know, licensed massage therapists but forgot us. So wow. we're still battling that. And, uh, you know... And, and um, did I just hear that right? That in California they don't license AODA counselors, alcohol and drug counselors? Um, no, they don't. Uh, you, that go is... through, you, do, you go through KDAC and you get your California... And uh, hopefully they're going to be grandfathering a lot of people in pretty soon. But, you know, in Texas, I, uh, my business partner, Janie Griffin, is from Texas. And, and uh, she um, had to have a whole other set of licensing other than her NADAC and, and, and uh, wow. KDAC. And um, she then, of course, has her master's and stuff. But, no, you really have to – you don't just go to school for five weekends and walk in and you're a counselor in some treatment sure. center. And that was very common here. Okay. And and I believe it's like 4,000 hours in Wisconsin of, you know, uh, clinical hours and uh, 360 hours of training. It's uh, quite extensive. And that really actually surprises me about California because we are very conservative in the Midwest. And I often look to California to what you guys are doing in that progressive movement, especially in the judicial and legal systems right now. Well, I really think that that's, kind of getting more attention than, you know, who's behind it. Sure. Um, I think that it won't be long before this happens, but I've been in the business 23 years and uh, went to school in uh, 1991, and come on, that's a really long time. That's 23 years of trying to get somebody to recognize that we are a real profession. Mm -hmm. Um, The joke in California used to be if you've been to jail and you... You know, um, you've had your car repossessed and you've gone bankrupt a couple of times and, you know, um, you can't get a job anywhere, become a drug and alcohol counselor. And um, <laughs> I'm not sure that that isn't okay because they can certainly say, I know how you feel and I've been there. But mm-hmm. um, everybody can get an education and improve themselves and know and hone the profession that they want to do well. And Absolutely. there are a lot of people still in treatment centers who are not certified and who have barely been to school. Sure, and um, and I can certainly attest to that in, in our area too uh, with recovery life coaching that there is a lot of, you know, not with interventionists per se so much in our area, there's so few of them, but with recovery life coaching, we started seeing that pop up these, you know, three-day classes where people were certified as a recovery life coach when maybe they should have been, you know, certified as a peer specialist or somebody who's just, you know, been through that process. Well, and there was no licensing for this, you know, career called sober coaching yeah yeah. and uh they're still trying to certify that which is you know a three-day program and you know it's a rent-a-buddy sure and uh, i think it's really good for some people that um are not secure yet but you know i know people who have had you know sober coaches for four or five years okay and um i think when are you going to jump into your own recovery 
Sure. And, and well, and I took a, a little bit different approach. I didn't take a three-day class. It was a year-long course out of uh, Washington, uh, weekly exams and homework, uh, book reports that needed to be due, coaching circles with a mentor coach and under, and really decided that if I was going to do this, I wanted to get the best education that I could because it's not necessarily just about getting the credential. It's also about you know what you've learned through that process and how I can well, help there are recovery. by law no credentials. Sure. Yes. And um, you know um, that's what keeps going. You know, so many people that work in treatment centers went to that treatment center, which I think is fine. But one day they're a client, and the next day they're you know they're interns. And um, if that's what you want to do, I think it's wonderful. But I also think that a whole lot of people could be doing something that they love, but this is the first thing that popped up where they can be accepted, you know? I'm on the board of directors for Recovery Coaches International, and that's one of the things that we're really doing is try to differentiate who really has the education and the schooling to be these, you know, recovery life coaches and and who doesn't. And we're kind of working on that along with the International Coaching Federation. But I just want to change gears here real quick. We got to take a break in about four minutes or so. But before the break, I want to ask you, uh, you know, what are you passionate about in life and recovery? And, um, and, and I'm posing this question outside of uh, what you do as an interventionist, maybe. Well, I guess I'd have to tell you I'm really passionate about families and that they get into recovery. I mean, the passion in my heart, of course, is um, my family. And um, I have a husband. I've been married 45 years. I hope you're sitting down. And um, I'm a wonderful musician, too. I mean, it's like it's a lifetime almost for me. And um, he's in recovery. And... uh, He's actively in recovery. We both still go to 12-step meetings. We both sponsor people. We both worked our steps. We both have sponsors. So we did a lot of things that were suggested of us. I have a wonderful, wonderful son who's 32, and he's followed in his father's footsteps and is becoming a very renowned, uh, actually internationally renowned musician. And um, my daughter's in the healthcare profession. Um, She's... um, at this point, just getting ready to finish her RN, and she's in Oregon. And um, so I'm passionate about my children, that they do good things for other people and that they um, live the life that I dreamed they could. Um, But more important, that they live the life they dreamed they could. So I feel so blessed about that. And, um, you know, I have a group of sober friends, and I'm passionate about helping people. Every, You know, I round the corner. I'm the one who gets says, oh, are you that lady on that? And I go, yes, I am, and they all have a story. And I, I'm so grateful I have the patience and the love of this work to be able to say, I'm so glad you got help, you know. Um, yep. it, it certainly takes a... thing. Yes, it certainly takes a uh, special, unique type of person to make it through these uh, sometimes very emotional and difficult processes. So we have to take another quick commercial break here from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with Candy Finnegan. And she has a few tips for our listeners on how to navigate the holidays in recovery. So here's a quick commercial break from our sponsors.
opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org. So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to I Took the High Road. I am your host, Jacob Jansen, and today's guest is Candy Finnegan, a certified master addiction counselor, board registered interventionist, author, and celebrity on TV's uh, acclaimed show, Intervention. Uh, so before the break, uh, we were talking about some of your passions in life and how they, uh, you know, have helped you in your recovery. So what have you learned, um, you know, over the past 28 years in your recovery, and, and how has this helped you? Do you have any advice for some of the listeners? Well, if you're newly in recovery, the only thing I can say to you is commitment, commitment, commitment. <laughs> you know, um, some days when I couldn't show up at 12-step meetings, um, if I was supposed to make coffee for you, I'd show up, you know? Sure. Um, what I've learned is, is if I'm helping somebody else, I'm helping myself, Um that newcomers, you know, are the lifeline of this whole program. And, 
you know, to be able to take a young person. People, I, I have a home group and, and here in Los Angeles, and we have 19-year-old kids in there that have a couple of years. And uh, when I came in, you know, I was in my late 30s, but the truth of it is is that, you know, there were people that are coming in in their 70s, and I still see that, but I see a load, a load of young um, 20-year-old people who are going to make this a commitment, um, hopefully for the rest of their lives because of the such uh, an epidemic of pills and heroin. And I was just going to say, certainly in our area of the country, if not all over the entire United States, you know, the, the opiate pills and heroin is just kind of blown out of control. And well, y- they say it's the worst epidemic in the history of the United States, far past yeah. anything. I yeah, mean, I mean, tuberculosis, it's... Uh, you know, when when uh, polio, um, we lose more people um, than ever before under the age of thirty due to uh, pill and heroin addiction. And I see it all the time. Um, you know, I was just speaking last night at a high school, and they probably had about four or five names up of high school graduates that died within the last few years um, to to drugs and alcohol. And one of the things you said is commitment, commitment, commitment. Um, and what I heard in that also is, you know, when you said going to those meetings, uh, the support and responsibility, um, you know, is, is so important in early recovery to find that support, whether it's through 12-step groups, family, sober friends, churches, whatever it might be, and responsibility. Well, I think it's all of them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. You said, you know, when you had that responsibility to make the coffee, you were there. Um, for me, that sense of responsibility or that sense of gratification that I got from helping others came through volunteering. One of the only beneficial parts of my sentencing was getting that uh, community service where I'd have to go out in the community, volunteer my time, and that really helped me and uh, stay accountable in my recovery and say, this is something I want to do, helping people. I feel very good doing it. And that's it. exactly my gateway with the Musician's Assistance Program. Um, uh, for years, I mean, I never got a salary there. I, everything that we did with that involved in the beginning um, was all volunteer, and um, I suited up and showed up because I knew there was no place for my husband and I to call when we got in trouble, and so because of that, I always wanted somebody on the other phone that would pick it up and say, what can I do to help you, you know, yeah. so that's, uh, I've always been, I grew up in a family that was very community active, very volunteer active, I've been in a volunteering um, situation of uh learning how to be a good volunteer and suiting up and showing up and being responsible since I was about 13. So it was a big part of me growing up as giving back. So um, I was not uncomfortable with that. So, um, and I've tried to teach my children that the first couple of years of Thanksgiving, we always went down and, um, you know, and uh, fed the homeless. And, um, you know, I, I don't know why I thought of it, but it's a it's a thing that's done a great deal around here. You uh, you go to a lot of the soup kitchens and the family kitchens that offer free Thanksgiving dinner, and a tremendous amount of those people are in recovery because mm-hmm. they know what it's like to sit at home by themselves and not be invited to any type of holiday. 
You know, and it's it's so neat to see uh, a celebrity person on TV out in the public eye going out, giving back. And I, I know you do that for your profession, but to do that in, in your personal life is just fantastic. One of the reasons that I uh, look up to you and, you know, you're one of the recovery superstars here, so making a difference. Well, that's a cute thing to say. At least you didn't say pioneer. I always imagine myself, since I'm from Kansas, being in that covered wagon you know, with that unbecoming long dress on. Um, uh, and number, the little bonnet, I might add. So, um, you know, I've been so blessed. You know, if, I, if anybody can look at me and know that if I can do it, they can do it, that's uh, a much higher power working in my life than ever I dreamed of. So. Yeah. Exactly. What I want to get around to before I get off this is that, you know, I think that when you get sober, you know, there's a lot of holidays that are drinking holidays. And for me, it was, of course, St. Patrick's Day. But, yeah. Do you um, have any you advice? Know, for... And then there's Cinco de Mayo. And then there's the Fourth of July. And then there's Memorial Day. And then there's Labor Day. And I mean, those are all kind of Yahoo, let's have a beer. But, you know, it starts being in Thanksgiving and, and uh, um, Hanukkah and. and in Christmas, and what I need to tell you is, is that it it gets uncomfortable for people who are in new recovery, and sometimes people who are in just recovery, because you know they felt the guilt comes back, the shame because they haven't been able to show up for their families for so many years. And um, what I teach in the family group um, that uh, I'm the director of in here in Los Angeles, it's called Community Recovery, and I twice a week do a, a large family program um, because it's important to know that if they really want success, that they're going to have to give up a few things. And if alcohol isn't a problem for them, then it won't be a problem for them to not drink at these holidays. Um, it's the consideration of doing for others. You know, nobody's going to sit around and eat a cake if you have a diabetic child or a husband or a, a wife. I mean, it's like, Think about having the gratitude and the thankfulness is that you all are a family. One of the, um, the interesting things when I was uh, in my early recovery and going to a lot of meetings and groups, my counselor said a very profound thing that, you know, not everybody is an alcoholic and needs alcohol. And that person that wants it there, that addict, probably wants it there more than the other individuals because he feels that they need that to be happy. And so many other people just don't need that to be happy. For my family, it was very easy uh, to say, we're just not going to have alcohol at a lot of the family functions and they weren't drinkers. So that was an, an easy choice for them to make. And, um, I'm happy they did that. So, well, but you know, um, and if you don't have a family or, um, you know, if you go to 12 step meetings, you know, you get to pick your family and, um, mm -hmm. at least here in, in, in Los Angeles. And I know in a lot of other cities, you know, a lot of meeting um, houses and uh, 12-step meetings, they have a potluck on the, on the day, and then they have a meeting afterwards. And I remember the first three or four years my husband and I were sober. Here we were sitting in a 12-step meeting and, in the, and bringing in the new year. And um, it's like I have never not trusted that I needed to keep myself safe. Sure. And... Um, you know, calling people over, even having people come over to my house and uh, celebrating in a, in a new way where there wasn't alcohol and there wasn't drugs. 
Um, I've created an, an, you know, a new set of, of values for myself where I don't need to be rewarded for anything other than being one of God's kids and being sober today. Absolutely. So I um, stick close to other people. One of the things that alcoholics and addicts have is such a hard time of asking. Ask people what they're doing for the holidays. Ask them if you can join them. Nobody's not going to know you're not doing anything unless you tell them. We are a family of people who suffer from a terminal illness, and just for today we might be able to not drink or use, but only by the grace of God and asking other people for help. Don't sit at home and feel sorry for yourself. You can watch the Macy's Day Parade. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> but ask somebody, what are you doing? Where can I go? Where can I be of service? I don't want to sit at home by myself. Sure. So, uh, and, and uh, what is the best way to contact you or buy your book, When Enough is Enough? Um, you can certainly go on candyfinnegan.com and... Uh, Somebody said the other day to me, I went on Amazon and I bought your, I bought your book and it was used and it was $1.50. So I always say, don't say you can't afford it. It's a comprehensive guide to intervention. If you have questions, if you think you might want to be one, um, you can go on the Internet under Certification for Intervention Professionals. It's CIP. And look what you have to go through to get certified. It is not a license. It's a certification, mm-hmm. but it sets you apart that you're serious about this. Um, and, you know, the candyfinnegan.com has things that are coming up. I'm speaking at a conference in March, and I'm going to be in Chicago in, in January, speaking at a conference in, in Dallas in May. And it'll talk about some of the things that, you know, are coming up in my life. And I'm grateful to tell you that by popular demand, the show came back. It was canceled in 2013. And... We are in the, probably in our sixth show so far, and after the first of the year, um, on some A&E network, either Lifetime um, or A&E, um, the show is uh, going to be back on. So, And, and um, I would love to have you on. Back popular demand. Who knew? And, I'm yep, thrilled. and I would love to, to have you on in, in a couple months maybe to talk more about this show intervention because we really didn't have time to do that today. So. It would be an honor and privilege any time to talk to you, Jake. You're the best. Oh, f- thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. And we got about two or three minutes left here till the end of the show. So do, two minutes, the, the uh, as engineer just said. So do you have any final message for our listeners right now? Well, if you're struggling, this is a terminal progressive um, chronic disease. Um, just believe that it's possible. You have the only terminal disease that all you have to do is stop doing what you're doing and um, ask somebody for help. This is not impossible. Um, and you too, as I did 28 years ago, stood still long enough. All I did was quit drinking and as God had seen it, look what happened to me and it can happen to you. So always dream up, always believe that the miracle is yours. And as we say in a 12 step program, don't leave before the miracle. You know, absolutely. It's it's about, you know, keeping trying. And, you know, for me, it certainly didn't happen on my first try. I had two failed attempts at treatment. And well, I don't I'm, know if you had failed attempts. I or, think I, that was your I, journey. 
I love that. It's it, it's never a failure. It's a process of learning, and I think from each one of those attempts, I, I certainly continue well, to learn recovery, just a little bit more. Um, you know, relapse is not a part of recovery. It's a yeah. part of the disease. If you have a t- terminal disease, any time you can get out of remission. So you always have to be very astute mm-hmm. at what comes first in your life, and recovery yeah. should always. Absolutely. If you don't put recovery first, uh, everything else will fall away. Yep. Um, so, so every day I get up and I'm proud to say my name is Candy Finnegan and I'm an alcoholic. And my name is Jacob Jansen and I'm proud to be in recovery from IV heroin use. So. Yep. So today we got nothing but the best ahead of us. Absolutely. Candy, I want to thank you for being on the show today. What a great show. Thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor. Okay, so uh, that's about all the time we have today. I want all of our listeners to have a great Thanksgiving. I won't be on next Friday. We'll be playing a rerun, uh, but we'll be back on in two weeks. So thank you. Have a great week, two weeks, and enjoy life. Thank you for listening to I Took the High Road. Please join Jacob Jansen for another encouraging hour next Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you next week.